maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on who should you give to, what family name to use, greeting guests at the door, not wanting people to accommodate your food restriction, and how long should you talk with other guests at a party? Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment about holiday parties. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about introductions and deducing who is the more important person in the moment. All that coming up. Yay! Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And... It's now like two weeks after, but we're finally catching up after the Thanksgiving holiday. How was your Thanksgiving? It was awesome. (laughs) Tell me about it, because you were away this year. You weren't up on the hill in Vermont. How long do we have? How long is this intro? (laughs) So, short story. Okay. Pooja's family is enormous, and everybody gets together for Thanksgiving, and it is awesome. (laughs) I was counting up the whole event is hosted by... Pooja's aunt, mm-hmm. and there are four siblings at that age in that generation okay. of the family that are all present okay. with their spouses. There's another sibling whose children come but can't make it because he's in India. Okay, and then in that next tier down, everybody's partnered. Almost everybody has kids. Okay, so then there's a third generation of the family that I think of as the youngest generation. This is Anisha's Anisha's generation age group, okay. although she's at the bottom of that bracket. Okay, at one point we got all of those people together onto a a stairway to take a family picture, I stopped counting at 20. (laughs) Conservative estimates, over 60 people. The dining room table stretches from the dining room out into the attached living room. And people are all around it. And it goes from wall to wall. And then there's a second tier behind them on couches and chairs. That's like what it sounds like at our Christmas at your parents' house, where it's just like there's food and tables and people everywhere. And everyone is like happy and laughing. It's really nice. And I I appreciate quiet holidays. I like, as you know, my time alone and with just nuclear family. And this is a very different event. And I'm finding myself really, really enjoying it. I'm enjoying that big, boisterous family feel. Yeah. Well, and fun, too, when Anisha's starting to be at an age where she's talking to everyone and really interacting with everyone. I mean, she's a super social kid. So, like, it's, it's a lot of fun getting to see her get to know her bigger family. And there are a couple of kids around her age. So yeah. touching base with those parents. We did showers with them. And then... No. Birth stories and then early child stories. So, no, it's, it's yeah. she's starting to have her little cohort in the cousin group. Yeah. And uh, what about yourself? It was very quiet over at the, the Peter and Trisha Post house. We had our, our standard kind of dinner, you know, all the all the favorites. And my mom's sister came up and my sister and her husband and baby came out to the house. So it was very small. We were only eight. But it was really nice. Got to meet my aunt's boyfriend. Really liked him. Really liked having him there. His request was for chocolate pie. My mom always says, you know, what's something from your Thanksgiving that you would really love to have? I'd love to make it for you. And he said chocolate cream pie. And we had never done chocolate cream pie at our house growing like I mean I love it it's a favorite of mine but like we it never made it to the Thanksgiving table 
hands down, everyone was like, we are so glad the chocolate cream pie was here. Yay, Jack, for asking for it. Like, it was a lot of fun. So that was the big hit, but very quiet holiday. Really nice, really nice. We had snow. I was really happy about that. (laughs) Not to talk about the weather, but we got to talk about the weather. I know. We're doing this on Wednesday instead of Tuesday because you couldn't get off the mountain yesterday. Winter storm came to Vermont. Yeah. It is, the, 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 the snow is piled up. It's piled up in the trees. Mm. I haven't had power for two days at this point. It is winter wonderland. <laughs> Yay but like, for generators. You do have electricity. <laughs> like. Yes. But it's also a little winter wonderland chaos here in Vermont right now. It's definitely been a, a really... Pres- I don't want to say precipitous. That's not the right use of the word. But there's been a lot of precipitation early in this winter. We've had a lot of snow it's already. Gonna be, it's going to be a snowy winter, that's for sure. I spent yesterday looking for snow tires. I need to get them on my car fast. Well, I'm glad you were able to make it today. Thank you. And it feels you good too. to be out of the house. Yes, good. Good, good, good. We've got a pretty good show lined up here. We do. Let's get to it. Awesome. Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members put sustaining member in your subject line. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Our first question is titled, Who Do We Gift To? 
Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Love your show, and listening to it helps me to be a more thoughtful person. I am starting to prepare my holiday list for gift-giving, and I love showing appreciation to all the very helpful people in our lives. Throughout the year, I am always adding people to my list to include my kid's bus driver, my mail carrier, my hairdresser. The list goes on. I sometimes include our dentist or other doctors if we happen to have a December appointment. But I am totally stumped about the proper etiquette for giving something to my therapist. This is a person who I talk with most weeks for an hour. I share all my thoughts and secrets, and this person is someone who means a lot to me. But giving a gift to them feels weird, and maybe like I'd be crossing the line of what's appropriate. At the same time, not giving a gift to this person when I give to the crew that picks up my trash also feels weird and not right. What do you advise? If it matters, my gifts are typically small tokens of appreciation. My standard holiday gift is a large Hershey chocolate bar with a red ribbon tied around it. I often, but not always, attach a kind note. As long as we're talking about therapist etiquette, is it okay to ever hug them? I am a hugger and would sometimes like to. I hug other people in my life. Why does a therapist seem so different and confusing? I hope you can spend some time talking about this. Best regards, a gift-giving hugger living in D.C. Gift-giving hugger, thank you for this question. I was reading this question for the first time while I was sitting there with my therapist wife. (laughs) And I turned to her and said, could I ask you a question? And she said, this is starting to sound a little loaded. (laughs) And I said, it's about receiving a gift as a therapist. She said, this sounds really loaded. I said, no, no, it's for the podcast. And she relaxed. (laughs) The advice that I got from my mental health counselor therapist wife was that she really views that client therapist relationship as a professional relationship and really likes to honor it by treating it like that. And she knows as well as anyone, and we talk a lot about what a close relationship that is and how important therapists are to their clients, but she'll be honest with me about how important her clients are to her, how they inspire her and teach her things. And it's it's a relationship that that is a really deep relationship. Part of what allows that to be true is that it's a professional relationship and there are boundaries and structures around it that allow it to function and work. So big picture, professional relationship, you want to be really careful about gift giving. Technically, therapists are not supposed to receive or take any gifts. They're even supposed to document if they don't charge their usual rates because of hardship. So it's it's definitely – it falls under that category of – It's an important relationship, but it's also a professional relationship, and you are honoring that person by honoring the professional nature of that relationship. That being said... (laughs) Having said all that, Lizzie Post, give us the big butt gray area. Yeah, that's probably the proper thing to do. But these relationships do develop. And when you spent five, ten years with someone in your life, I had that relationship in my life. And my therapist did hug me. um, And it did feel appropriate given the relationship that we had with each other. And throughout other moments in our relationship, you know, I'd have books come out and I'd offer to give her a book. You know, she's someone important in my life. This is a piece of work she often would see me go through working on. I'd talk about it when it was stressful. that sort of a thing. And uh, she kind of checked with the other therapists in her practice whenever the issue of something like uh, receiving holiday candy at the time, you know, something like which I do homemade toffee, we know. She got your toffee? I honestly at this point actually can't remember whether she got my toffee or not. We, I might have brought it in to share during the session or something like that. But often what I chose to do was let her decide. And so 
I would say, you know, I would love to give this to you, but I'm not sure if it crosses any boundaries or or if it's not ethical in any way. And so that would be a way for her to then be able to say, you know, yeah, that I'm not comfortable doing, but this would be fine, you know. And that's kind of how we navigated those moments of connection and and niceness and generosity. She, in fact, at one point, like, would bring in something for me and give something to me. And so would ask if, you know, it felt that kind of thing. And they were always little things. It was like one of them was when she was retiring. It was this tiny little, you know, it's like something you'd get at, like, the the bookstore checkout line and it was like a little mini um, pretend therapist like a little mini therapist doll she goes here since you won't have me anymore I figured you could put this on your shelf and just talk to her and I was like yeah because that won't make me seem crazy <laughs> like and we laughed about it and you know it's like a funny little thing but never anything you know um that felt inappropriate or felt odd. And when it came to the hugs, I let her be the one to initiate that or establish that. And you can always express to your therapist that you're so grateful for them in your life, that they really are making a difference for you. And those are the really appropriate ways to express the gratitude that you do feel. So there is an avenue for it. Lizzie Post, thank you so much for tackling this gray area. It is. It's really where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. A holiday card can feel totally safe. But at some point, maybe a holiday card starts to be a personal note if it has too much information and that maybe starts to cross some boundary lines. So things that seem really simple and small can even – even simple and small things can raise flags and questions in your mind. So it's important to think about them, to think about the relationship. I think that Hershey chocolate bar with a red ribbon tied around it feels in that appropriately small and safe territory to me. Also, thank you for tackling the hugging part of this question because that's that's a really <laughs> tricky one too. It is, it is. And I'm glad we got both perspectives out there. A gift-giving hugger living in D.C., we hope that you enjoy gift-giving and hugging all this holiday season. They're swell people. All of them. They do the kind of things you expect of your friends. Friends. That's it. the most dependable friends I have. Yeah, they sure are. Our next question is about the Blank family. Hello. Thank you for all that you do. I am actually already married. We went to the courthouse, but we are having a wedding in May to celebrate. Congratulations. I'm interested in getting a return address stamp for the invitations, thank you cards, etc. And I'm wondering how to deal with our blended last name household. I kept my last name as a second last name. So I am technically hyphenated, but I just go by our family name, which is my partner's last name. So he is Smith, and I am Smith-Jones, not our real last names. What are our options for return address stamps? Should we just use our first names? Are we the Smith family? Are we the Smith slash Jones? My intention with keeping my last name was that I would go by the family name for simplicity. Thank you for any advice. I mean, I think you're just in really great territory here. You've already stated that you like the idea of using one name as the family name, even though your own personal name is a hyphenated last name. So I say go under the family name or go under your first names, as you also suggested. Either would be appropriate. Do you think so? Even though that that kind of bigger wedding hasn't happened, the official wedding has, and they actually are married. So why not, right? Am I crazy? No, not at all. And I think you hit the point of etiquette. The fact that the 
official marriage has happened gives you some options. It opens up a whole door of possibilities. And my note said, no rules. You get to make this choice. Think about what you want to express in the situation. Go with what makes you and your partner feel the most comfortable. And that might just be first names, John and Jen. That might be a single family last name, Smith's. Might be Smith Jones. And I say try them out. Try them out with your partner and, and see what resonates with you, what feels right. I think so, too. Anonymous, we hope that helps and have fun sending out those cards this year. Congratulations. First year sending out cards as a married couple. We still don't have the one thing that could give us a better way of life. They say it can't be done, that it's just an impossible dream. But in the laboratories of your name here, there is a modest sign. This question is titled, I'm the doorman and the host. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I can't believe I'm finally sending in my first question. I am completely starstruck at the idea of having my question read on your show. Please don't faint. (laughs) I've been listening to you for several months, and I honestly believe it's made me a more empathetic and kind person. I love the variety of questions and concerns you address and look forward to many more. Thank you so much for all the hard work you do and for helping make the world a little nicer. Smiley face. My question is in regards to door etiquette. I host a club at my home once a month. Two of the people who attend often arrive together. When I open the door, they are often chatting about whatever they were talking about in the car. Completely normal doorstep behavior. But when I answer the door, they do not stop the conversation and greet me. They simply continue their conversation, walk past me, and enter my home. I then walk behind them in silence to my kitchen where I listen to them talk until I can interject myself into the conversation. I find this extremely rude. Am I wrong? The crowd is small, usually only comprising of four to five people, and they are always the first ones there. Usually I'm just standing there silently wishing for someone else to arrive so I don't have to wait awkwardly for my opening. Help! Should I just let this one go? We've been meeting for about a year and we enjoy each other's company, but we do not have interactions independent of these meetups, and so I wouldn't classify us as close. Signed sincerely, not just the doorman. This is really bad. This is really bad behavior. It's really bad behavior. It's like atrocious level. Like, so someone invites you to their home. They answer the door. Like, I'm wondering if they throw their coats at our listener. Um, I don't know. I almost find it hard to picture. Yeah. And at first I was... Like it's comical. At first I was imagining a situation where you had like a club, like someone uh, managing a, a rope or a rope line, a yeah. velvet rope. Yeah, 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 totally. And... As I was listening to the question, I hear that there's only four or five people here. Now I'm picturing something more like a book club or a travel club or yeah, a game or, night, something like that. Wine and, club. And for a gathering like that where everybody's going to be interacting and it's kind of small, the idea that you wouldn't say hi to someone when you arrive, particularly the host, the person standing at the door, to me it's almost extinction level. Oh, heck yeah. Behavior in in that I'm considering not inviting these people back. I'm going to give them a chance or a couple chances based on our history together. Really? Because your history includes this repeated behavior. Yes. (laughs) You're just feeling really generous today or something? (laughs) No. But what I'm wanting to do is salvage the relationship. And, And if there's a pattern that's built up for 
any reason, I'm going to I'm going to apply the advice that I like to apply in business when I talk to managers about addressing rude behavior. Uh-huh. I say you set a new expectation and then you judge based on moving forward from there. That mm-hmm. you don't look at the past and then try to punish or so what hold would people you accountable. Do in the moment, what would you do, Dan? What would you actually do? I'm almost going to block the door. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm going to be there. I'm going to let someone in, but I'm going to physically take that role as the host really seriously and strongly and i'm gonna say hello welcome it's so good to see you i'm gonna interrupt that conversation i did not expect you to say this i totally expected you to have some much more subtle way of making it work i was like man i just say give them huge hellos and welcomes that they can't ignore like force it on them and i know that doesn't sound like our normal polite like you know suggestions for things but I, I had a f- I thought you were going to be like smooth and like have something and you're like I'm going to physically like stand there and I'm going to hello and I, that's I had the exact same idea. Well, I don't think it needs to be aggressive or abrasive. Right. I think that you can do it in a way that's assertive and clear. And things like physical cues like when you open a door standing there, it yeah. doesn't need to be it's not like you need to push up and get in their face about it. You don't have to look like a linebacker or something. No. Right Arm on one part of the door frame and the other. You're going to land her. You shall not pass. <laughs> I think that the subtler approach is what's been happening here, where you wait for that opportunity, you follow them into the kitchen, you are looking for that appropriate opening where you're given the chance to participate. And that is the subtle approach. You're right. That's clearly not working if this has been going on for a year, if it's happened repeatedly. Yeah. So not just the doorman. I think we are giving you permission, and not that we are the ones who grant such things, but but we definitely, listening to this situation, think that it's perfectly appropriate for at the door in the moment when your initial greeting happens for you to really kind of assert that greeting in a way that that does break the conversation um and to don't just stand like if they're talking it's okay to in as soon as you open the door give them the hello oh my gosh it's so good to see you welcome come on in it would be very hard for them to continue their conversation while you're saying those things to them and if they do then i might start going after what dan was thinking of which is it might be time to change up this group in the face of that, if the behavior persists, then you're talking about something that's really intentionally as dismissive and insulting as it sounds the way it's described. And that's where I'm really thinking about adjusting the guest list for the club or the event. Rightly so. Not just the doorman. We hope that this helps. And please give us an update. Let us know how it goes. There are many people like Ben, people with problems, people that we reject and ignore because we don't understand why they act as they do. And because they're different from our idea of friends. It's hard for the soft-spoken to understand the loudmouth. It's difficult to understand the shy if you're aggressive. Oh, I'm so glad you're reading me this question! Yes! Our next question is about no accommodation being necessary. Really. This past summer, I started cutting way back on my meat consumption for health reasons as well as for the environment. However, I do not identify and do not see myself ever adopting a strict no-meat diet. If I had to use a label, I'd call myself flexitarian. 
However, as I occasionally rave on social media about trying new tofu dishes or the deliciousness of soy chorizo and impossible meat, I worry I may confuse people into thinking I don't eat meat at all, thus requiring special accommodation as a guest in someone's home. While I certainly appreciate people's consideration and willingness to make me a special meatless dish, I would generally prefer to eat whatever's being served to the group. I am dreading the night when I go to someone's house for dinner and they've made a delicious-smelling roast beef for everyone, but they proudly inform me that they made me some (laughs) tofu and they can't wait for me to try it. But I'd really want the beef and would feel obligated to smile and eat the tofu anyway to be a good guest. Because my host went out of their way for me. Or worse, what if it's a plant-based protein I don't like? Or don't know if I like yet, like a vegetarian burger? I feel like telling someone they don't have to accommodate me is not enough, but it still leaves the door open and someone may want to do it anyway to be a really good host. Is there a polite, gracious way to tell someone I don't want them to accommodate me and that I generally want to eat whatever's being prepared for the group? What, if anything, can I say to someone who has gone out of their way to prepare a vegetarian substitute I don't want when I want the meat everyone else is having? Thank you for a great show. I look forward to every new episode. Allison. I I feel Allison's pain on this one. Do tell. It's well. It's true. It's you know. I I'm much like Allison. I'm a flexitarian. When you really come down to it, where I I eat fish and I'll eat meat on a very rare basis, but I will eat it from time to time. And I do like I do make exceptions and I make choices around it. And that can be really hard for other people to understand. They want to just put you in a category so they know how to deal with you, and that makes sense. It's easier for them, and that's their life and their brain, and they need their brain to be easy. So. I get it. But I also know that there are these folks out there. I'm one of them who, if you are my guest, I really want to accommodate you and and what it is you're, you're trying to do with your diet. If I'm inviting you over, if I'm taking you out of your home and out of making choices for yourself for a night, I want to make sure I'm not then forcing something upon you that you don't want. And I would consider it a win, a challenge, much like one of our last listeners who loved the challenge of cooking the whole Thanksgiving dinner and really pulling it all together. I love the challenge of cooking something I'm not familiar with and seeing if I can get it right and do it well and make that person feel like they didn't have to make a choice between their restriction or diet or goal and coming over for dinner for an evening. So there's all of that. You know, the other thing you can do, Allison, is post every now and again a picture of a meat dish that you're eating. I mean, you post a lot of the vegetarian stuff. You know, you could post the meat picture as well. But really, the only thing you need to do is tell your host when you RSVP that you are more than happy to eat. In fact, that dinners out with friends are the times you use to eat meat that they've made and and to enjoy it. I know that's certainly what I do every now and again when it's that dish I really do want to partake of. And then also, you know, thank people for just understanding that you're flexible about it or that you choose sometimes to engage with it and other times not to. It's just it's it's nice to appreciate that other people are paying attention to it and willing to accommodate whichever way you go with it. Yeah. I took a crack at some sample scripts. Oh, do it, do it, do it. I don't do it much anymore, but I love a good piece of steak every once in a while. There you go. I like it. Well, I never think to cook it myself. Liver is such a treat. (laughs) If you indeed think so. See, this is where my problem would be, is that I would be worried that the meat they were going to serve was actually meat I don't like and then wouldn't be enjoying it for the one time I'm choosing to eat it. (laughs) This one's for Lizzie Post, who I think of as really liking seafood. I do love seafood. I'm terrible at preparing seafood, but it's been something I have loved ever since I was a little kid. Yes. 
The way you make XYZ is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. The only other thing that I would add, etiquette point, is if you are in a situation where both things are presented, it's okay to still eat the meat. It's okay to try that vegetarian dish that's been prepared and also try that roast beef that just looks so good. Really? You think so? After that host has gone through all that trouble? Yeah. Yeah? Because you're appreciating everything that they've done. I'm taking the – I'm trying both. But you don't think that would make the host feel like, oh, well, I didn't have to go through the trouble of eating the thing? If you haven't asked for it, if it's been something that they've decided to do because they – Think of you as someone who oh, enjoys. Oh, no, I like that. If the, tofu if you haven't and vegetarian asked for foods. it, eat both. Yes, if they just spring it on you, I absolutely think that's okay. Allison, thank you so much for this question. This is a juicy topic, meaty topic, and we certainly enjoyed the opportunity to discuss. Also, meat is a food that we all like, especially when it's tender and juicy and flavorful. Our next question is titled, Follow-Up Question About Parties. Dear Emily Post Etiquette, I enjoy your program so very much. Thank you for your helpful information and guidance. I tend to talk too long to individuals at parties. How long should one converse before greeting another friend or acquaintance? And can you provide suggestions for graciously ending conversations? Also, should you stay with your spouse while mingling, or is it better to separate and talk with different people? Thank you again, and happy Thanksgiving, Mrs. Gardner. I am so in the camp here of of separate and get out of your coupledom, but that may be because I'm single and think couples get way too codependent in social situations. So that might just be my own like jaded bias perspective. <laughs> I don't think it's jaded. Yeah. I think it's a good piece of advice. I would balance yeah. it by also saying that there is something nice about watching a couple that have Interact. a nice rapport yeah, yeah. interact socially, totally. engage with other people. I'm thinking about the introduction advice we give about the spousal assist as someone approaches oh this is so-and-so remember her from or the way you can kind of open up a conversation between the couples but as a couple you can open the conversation you can you you know how to prompt someone on a good story you know how to like get someone out of something awkward that might get said like there's a tag team thing that can happen here you're right that's pretty cool and for me the etiquette advice is that as a couple you don't want to get trapped or isolated Mm -hmm. you don't want to spend all your time talking to each other. You don't want to keep your conversation so insular and focused on your relationship that other people don't feel invited to participate, included, or even interested in what you're talking about. So there's ways, I think, to do that socializing together well. It it involves opening up and really making an effort to include other people and to to do it intentionally. I also think breaking up is a good idea. I think splitting up... Uh, Dan means like actually physically moving apart from each other at the party, not actually ending your relationship. Yes. <laughs> breaking up's hard to do. No, I think you're right. Spending some time together and some time apart is important. You also mentioned talking too long to people at a party, and I think this is something to be really cautious of. We don't have that tradition that we heard of, and I apologize, I can't remember which culture it came from, but where you go around and speak to every single person at the party before you kind of get your drink and get settled and everything. But I do think it's important to to make the rounds and you're naturally going to spend a longer amount of time talking to some people versus others. But 
you want to pay attention to it. At the very minimum, you want to say hi or give a nod to people at the party. If it's a really big party, obviously you have less expectation to talk to everyone. You might even have some folks that you see on your way out the door and you say, oh my gosh, we didn't get a chance to talk to each other. I'm so sorry. And oh, we'll have to catch you. We'll have to make a date to get together. Something like that. But it's one of those things where it can happen. Don't feel bad about it if it does happen. But when you're at a party and there's like 15 people or less and you're there for like two, three hours, yeah, that's enough time to say hello to everyone. If it's someone you don't like, you don't have to spend a lot of time talking to them. But a quick, hey, how you've been is perfectly appropriate. And then you can move on to other folks. Sometimes that's the best test of conversation skills. Can you have a decent party conversation with someone who isn't someone you get along with particularly well or find interesting but i won't say that because i think there's an infinite capacity to entertain yourself and to engage and learn something new find out something new my mother used to say don't ever say you're bored that's like saying you're boring it's not up to anyone else to hold your attention that one really stuck with me big time as a kid i like the way you're thinking about the number of people, mm-hmm. because if you're thinking about touching base with everyone, your average conversation duration is going to go down the more people there are present. Yes. You could almost do this little calculation in your mind. I would never do that. I'm not that kind of a systematic mathematical thinker. No, but... not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and it is natural that some conversations will engage you more and you will spend more time with them. But I think there is something to, boy, there's 60 people at this Thanksgiving gathering that I'm at. If I'm going to touch base and acknowledge each of these people individually, I probably can't go sit down and have an hour-long conversation with one person. It's a good time to catch up with that person later on. As far as getting out of those conversations, keeping those conversations to whatever length you're wanting to keep them at, magic words are magic. They are. Excuse me, pardon me, don't always apologize for everything you do, but even, I'm sorry, I saw someone who I've been wanting to touch base with since the... Yeah. Excuse me, pardon me. Those are great exit phrases and words, and they can take what would otherwise seem abrupt and and soften it a little bit and just acknowledge that that ending is there. And a nice way to bridge into that exit is to say something like, wow, it has been so great catching up with you. Wow, it's been so lovely to see you. I'm so glad Jenny hosted this party and we're all here together. I've got to go say hi to so-and-so or I'm going to go refresh my glass or, you know, I got to go check in on Dan. Like, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, use that spouse if you want to. But I think acknowledging that you've had a nice time talking is a soft way to segue out and, and people do pick up on that. Mrs. Gardner, thank you so much for loving all of our programs and thank you for being a thoughtful person out there considering just how long and good a conversation at a party should be. It looks like people who get along best with other people are, oh, the people who think about the other guy. They make a point of listening to what others have to say and watching for ways to do things for them, being polite toward them. You needn't worry about doing anything wrong, Phil. You act all right. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member in your question. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. 
Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And this week, we had a response to episode 218, where we spoke about the British custom of inviting guests to just the dancing and kind of like cake and party portion of a wedding and not inviting them to the ceremony or dinner and whether or not American guests would understand that custom. And I'm really grateful for this feedback. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Love, love, love your show. It has changed my life and the way I interact with those around me. I wanted to provide some feedback on episode 218 with regard to the British custom where some guests receive invitations to the full wedding ceremony, meal, and reception, and others are only invited to the reception. This is actually very common in my area as well, Atlantic Canada. Generally, those invited to the full ceremony will receive a traditional invitation, where those invited to the dance portion of the reception will receive a separate small invitation card inviting them to the dance with details, or simply an invitation via social media or word of mouth. There is generally never any confusion as those receiving the dance reception invitation do not have instructions to RSVP or to refer to the wedding website. It wouldn't be unusual for the bride or groom to, for example, send an email to their co-workers in a medium-sized office extending the invitation to attend the dance. I have never heard of someone showing up unexpectedly to the main wedding events when this was not the intent. Also, guests from out of town traditionally would, of course, receive the full invitation. Thank you again for the wonderful work you do every day to make our world a better place. Pamela. Pamela, thank you so much for this. This was great feedback. It's nice to know that when people are used to it, it really works and it makes sense. We had a um, another person write in years ago about a Canadian custom where it actually, in some circumstances, is okay to be asking your guests to pay for their plate literally. And it says, you know, cost of dinner will be $70. I know Dan's like um, eyes are blown, but I remember that from years ago. So We may share borders, but sometimes our manners are a little bit different, and it's really great to hear about them and hear about when it works well and when people understand it and feel comfortable with it, that it actually serves a great purpose and helps people to celebrate together. I could so see how this broadens the whole event and lets more people enjoy it. My American mind starts to go, but what about the people who've been there and then they see all these new people? And I know. (laughs) It's really good to learn. Thank you for sharing, Pamela. Our next piece of feedback is from Araya Benjamin, who is previously chronic in California from episode 206. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm writing in again following up on episode 217 and the discussion of staggering guests at a party. My family broke off just two generations ago from within a Hasidic sect of Judaism. We still have many relatives we are close with within that sect. Years ago, a trend developed where weddings in that community became larger and more elaborate, and eventually it developed into a trend where families were going broke, throwing outrageous weddings. In response to the, and I apologize if I don't pronounce this right, but I think it's the Rebbe, a dynastic religious authority which is different than a rabbi, ruled that there were a maximum number of guests one could host at a wedding and a maximum percent of a family's income that could be spent. So now, because of the law of unintended consequences, weddings in this community have three or four guest lists. Immediate family and special honored guests are invited to the whole wedding. The other categories include guests who are invited to the ceremony itself, dinner and or dancing, or some combination of those. 
People will arrive and depart throughout the wedding, and there is someone keeping a headcount throughout so that they never go over the mandated maximum. I've been a special guest at two such weddings, and it is a strange practice to behold. The important point, I think, is that everyone knows what's going on. No one wants their friends, neighbors, or family to go broke hosting big events. No one wants to give offense. Everyone knows that there is a limit that must be respected even though the hosts would like to celebrate with everyone, so they are gracious about taking turns and leaving more or less on time. As you've made clear before, it almost always comes down to communication. Make rules for a party you're hosting and ask your guests to respect them. Leave room for a few people who might push the limits or even completely misunderstand you. But if you're forthright and clear, most people will be happy to go along. As always, thank you for the time and effort you put into the show. I get so much out of it. And we get a lot from your feedback. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript follows up on our Postscript about invitations, and this is about holiday parties. I figured we could just talk about the different holiday parties. There's a lot of different kinds of holiday parties you can get invited to or have to participate in, and they're not the same, even though they're all kind of the same. Tis the season. (laughs) It really, really is. So I figured the first one on the list is my favorite because it's the friends parties. And it's, you know, just everyone seems to really want to make an effort to try and get together and and start socializing, start hosting. You know, I think whether whether you're in your 20s or 30s, some people in their 40s have probably been hosting. But but you really start to get into that mode of like, I want to do something this year, you know? And I think there are ugly sweater parties. There are potluck parties that are just kind of like parties but have a little bit of like holiday decor around them. We have gift swap parties. And then there's my favorite category for all of these, which is lampshades and keg stands, which is when everything goes just a little bit too far. (laughs) What about caroling parties? Caroling parties. I like that. I like that. But what do you think? Ugly sweater party. Do you have to participate? Do you have to wear an ugly sweater if you choose to go? I would try to. Would you really? Dan Poe's sending. I would probably not accept the invitation in the first place. I was going to say. <laughs> but I if would, I did, yeah. I would try to participate with whatever the theme or spirit of the event was. Gift swap parties. There's often some kind of instruction with it. And I always think it's polite. you got to stay within them. If it's under $10, stay within under $10, right? Or if you're going to drift above it, don't drift too far above it. Right. A dollar or two, but not orders of magnitude. It might seem generous. It's not. You want to play along and play well. What about re-gifting for these parties? Would you do it? Would I you, might. Would you bring like a gift or something from your house to as give to these? As long as it obey the re-gift giving rules, which I'm sure we're going to cover in a postscript coming up in a week or two. Okay. So next on the list, how about office parties? Ah, the dreaded holiday office party. Dreaded? I want to make it a little less dreaded. Okay. It's a great opportunity to step away from the usual work relationship and build relationships in a way that's a little bit different, even if it's the same little bit different that you did last year and the year before (laughs) and the year before. So what do you suggest? I suggest participate if you can. Okay. Play along, get involved, go, carve out a little bit of time for it. It doesn't need to be the pinnacle event on your social calendar. You don't need to be the first one to arrive, the last one to leave, unless you're the host, then you do have to be the first one to arrive and the last one to leave. (laughs) 
make an effort, put a smile on your face, give yourself a social challenge or a goal. Even if you know everybody there, say, I'm going to find out something new about someone tonight, or I'm going to talk to somebody that I don't usually talk to every day at work, or, you know, this is a chance to get to know my boss a little bit better, or my team a little bit better, or the people that report to me a little bit better, and take advantage of that opportunity. Hold yourself accountable. Don't drink too much. We were joking about lampshades in our friends' parties. (laughs) This is definitely the place not to take that joke too far. Yes. It's the classic piece of advice, but these are still going to be work relationships tomorrow, the next day, Monday morning, (laughs) and you want to treat them like that. Absolutely. What about things like if you get invited to an office party? I mean, sometimes there are gift swaps at office parties. And like we said with the last party, those are usually clearly spelled out. But people get really tempted and confused about whether or not they need to give a gift to a boss or a supervisor or or do things for people at the office. What do you think? The broad advice is that you don't want to be sending a lot of gifts up the food chain just by yourself. You don't want to give the appearance of trying to curry or buy favor from someone. If you're going to send a gift to a boss, it's a good idea to get together with everyone on the team Mm -hmm. or everybody who's at a similar level in the organization and try to do it collectively as a group. If you are doing gifts for people that are um, at the same level as you or people that report to you in an organization, you want to be sure that you treat them equally and fairly. You don't want to appear to be playing favorites or Mm -hmm. um, choosing people out for special favor. If there is someone you have a special work relationship with, someone that you're just naturally more close with than other coworkers, your best work bud, treat them like a friend, not like a coworker, and do that gift exchange not at the office party, somewhere where you can do it in private, and it's not going to be something that everybody's going to see and be judging you for. Yeah. And finally, on our list, we have family parties, and I'm thinking that's. Not only preparing kids for them, which we often talk about this time of year, but maybe preparing yourself. I was talking with a listener yesterday who admitted some sibling rivalry in her life and that sometimes... Never heard of that before. Yeah, no, that sometimes the holidays can bring that out a little bit more. Trips can bring that out a little bit more. So it definitely is something to think about. What What do you guys prepare Anisha for when you're going to big family holiday parties? We talked to her about it ahead of time. We're going to Nani and Nana's house. We're so excited to see them. It's going to be new. It's going to be a new environment. And just having that much preparation is really important. You can also do so much good work both with the information but also with the tone. Yeah. We're so happy to see them. This is so much fun. We're going on a big go-go mission. (laughs) Yay. Nani loves you. Nani's going to be so happy to see you. You know. Uh, without putting too much pressure on them, do you love Nani? Are you going to say hi to Nani? It's it's really just the tone that you set of enthusiasm, excitement, enjoyment. And that goes a long way towards giving a child some cues as to how they should approach an event as well. You're also starting to do that thing of treating them with respect. You're treating them as part of the delegation part of the team. They're not just some appendage that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. coming along, but they're exactly. they're a participant. And you're going to do this in age-appropriate ways, whatever age the kids that we're talking about are. And we talk a lot, too, about hellos and that greetings can sometimes be big greetings, that, you know, a lot of people are going to say hi and you can say they might give you hugs. Some people are really working with their child deciding whether or not they want to be hugged or not. But practicing your hellos is really okay. You can say, what do we say to Nani when we see her? Nani! 
you know, you can practice like that and get them excited for it. Um, I still will cherish forever hearing your sister-in-law, Susan, my cousin, say, you know, tell us about Stella Grace when she was about three coming to the big family Christmas. She said, Mom, I'm going to be shy for the beginning. And she's just so aware of herself and that this was going to be overwhelming. And, you know, she was shy in the beginning. But by after the meal, it was then we were sitting on the couch playing with whatever game she had brought with her and having a grand old time. And so adults give kids that moment to to know themselves and to also warm up. It's okay. It doesn't have to be. These are often like four hour events or all day events. You know, kids don't have to be present and a part of the party and behaving perfectly for the whole thing. We were often released to the bumper pool table in the basement as kids. (laughs) And to that point, there are certain moments within a party that are not necessarily grand performances, but they're sort of pivotal moments. So that that greeting, that arrival, that hello, the parting, the goodbye, yep. the thank yous for gifts, the thank yous for meals, the participation in meals. If there's an expectation that you're going to sit at a kid's table or a grown-up's table or if you're a grown-up preparing yourself to sit at the grown-up's table, that you're going to use your big girl and boy table manners and oh yeah notch up your conversation game that you're prepared to put that smile on your face and squash that sibling rivalry and participate well with everybody who's there whatever age you are there's a, <laughs> a challenge and there are moments that you can prepare and anticipate the other moment that i like to challenge people is think about a time where you could do something on someone else's behalf yeah whether it's your day at work or whether it's attending the family holiday gathering at some point ask someone else what you can do to help mm-hmm. it might be with the meal it might be getting a load of things out to the car at the end of the night it might be putting coats in a coat room or in a bedroom that's serving as a coat room But think about not just covering your own bases, but maybe stepping just outside your limits and helping someone else. We hope that that's inspired you for whichever holiday party you may be attending this week or weekend or throughout the rest of the season. And may you be able to show up with bells on, merry and bright, stars in your eyes, roses on your cheeks. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> Please don't. Actually, I'm starting to you get in the spirit. You liking it? liking it? We'll call off work and do our own Emily Post holiday party today. <laughs> party of two. <laughs> Indeed. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today we hear from David. I wanted to take a moment to offer an etiquette salute to everyone who makes the time to get their flu shot. I'm one of those folks who isn't able to get one for health reasons, so I must rely on the kindness of those who can. I know it's nobody's idea of a fun errand, but it is so important and it makes a tremendous difference. So from everyone who can't, get the shot. To everyone who chooses to, thank you for helping to protect your families and your communities. Thanks for a terrific show, David L. David, thank you so much for this salute. I love your approach to this, what is oftentimes viewed as a problematic situation, and your appreciation for the people that are participating responsibly and well is really inspiring to me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. 
or you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette as well as the Emily Post Institute. Please consider helping us out by becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app for free, and please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine, and our assistant producer is Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.